looking at our last review of um, manhood, the masculine virtues of America, Josh Hawley. What, what are we covering today, Mike? We're going to cover priest, which is having a passion uh, for something, having passion in life to be what we're supposed to be as men, and then king, which is to be ruling and reigning, uh, to be achieving in life. And then we're done. Yep. <clears throat> All right. So thoughts on the priest paragraph, because when you hear a priest, that's not the direction that we thought he was going to go out. At least for me, it wasn't. Uh, his uh, Roman Catholic background came out. Yeah. I, I don't know. I guess I think I struggled the most with that chapter, trying to really make sense of it all. I, I had a lot of question marks in, throughout that whole chapter. Yeah. <clears throat> I thought it could have tied in more to uh, husband and father. Uh, when I heard priest and you know, being the priest of your home type of thing. Um, but he didn't seem to go there, Mike. No, he did not. And again, the application part that he talks about is definitely needed. You know, it is something that is missing. You know, so again, from that standpoint, you know, what we read is very solid. Yeah, at the end of the chapter, I, I felt like. He like the end I felt was the best of the whole chapter because there are several times where he was like you know the Bible says and then it's like oh I'm not really sure where the Bible says that you didn't put a scripture so it's kind of like hmm you're such a legalist I guess Dave, you want you want actual scripture references when they mm -hmm. say the Bible says I learned that from my pastor <laughs> you know I saw that in a sermon recently yes. no scriptural footnotes whatsoever or the scriptural footnote goes to something that doesn't apply to what he just said? <laughs> well, I, I mean, I was shocked on that note when oh, yeah. I learned that the Westminster Confession of Faith oh, yeah. was presented to the Parliament with no scripture references. And the Parliament sent the team back to go proof text it. Think about that. I mean, you took that into Parliament without scripture references? Right, exactly. And expecting them to rubber stamp it. Hmm. Or the one you showed us yesterday where they referenced Exodus and they said it's, it's up for the New Testament. Yep. Okay. Well. Yep. All right. We're, anyway. we're, we're, what's the ending that you guys like or at least a little bit of it so that we can leave that chapter with a positive note? Well, I, um, page 161 was something that I, I thought he at least kind of hit <clears throat> somewhere close to the target where he references um, the writer of Ecclesiastes has said that God has set eternity in the human heart, and this is what Burke meant about man's permanent nature, his hope for full immortality. This is why every man longs to burn with some great purpose, to boast some singular accomplishment. If only for a moment he longs for the eternal, he wants desperately to partake of it. He wants to connect his life to what will last. Um, I, I at least appreciate the fact that he was, you know, I think he rightly somewhat hit that passage on the head that his that natural man knows there's something more out there and yeah in a book on manhood he kind of drove that to the point of this is why we look to to make that legacy for ourselves because we know that we are temporal but there's something else out there that's going to last longer than us on the next page 162 second paragraph down it says worship is an acknowledgement that a man needs to be filled that he needs something more than his own resources. It is an acknowledgement that he is not omnipotent or all-knowing, that he cannot see the end of every path. Or, um, it is also an acknowledgement 
that life is difficult and that we are far from perfect and the, even the basic duties of life are a challenge to us. I think he stress, stretches that, linking that to worship um, to a certain extent, mm -hmm. but yet that is an acknowledgement that as men we need to make those, we need to have those understandings. Yeah, if we pulled the word worship out, I'd be completely fine with the paragraph. Yeah. Because yeah. that's not worship. Yeah, and, and so, uh, uh, but acknowledging that does open the door for me glorifying God in everything that I do, which would be worship. Mm -hmm. So I'd rephrase it a little bit there. Um, and the other thing that I would have said within there is, you know, we are created to worship, and we're all going to worship something or someone. The question is, is it the right someone? And I was kind of questioning whether or not, you know, he would say this is where this this opens up the conversation where people will say, I'm spiritual but not religious. You, know, you have this natural longing to worship something, but I'm not a part of any organized religion. Yeah, 163 talks about sacrifice and how, you know, to get anything worthwhile, sacrifices have to be made. I, I appreciated that. And then, you know, the la his last sentence, in the end, we need men who know how to worship, how to give their lives to God, and who will, as a consequence, bear his imprint on their characters. So, it's a good, good summation. And I would agree with him, to um, that when he said on 162 that, you know, in response to that longing for something more, that worship is what kind of fills that hole. It, it Worship brings aid. And then he goes to say the Bible says that God created man with the purpose of helping him, forming him, filling him with God's own strength, God's own presence. Um, I don't know that he defines worship appropriately, but I would agree with him that proper worship will fill that void. I, I appreciate his, and it's been ongoing through the book when he refers to the Epicurean thoughts, but um, he does a really good job of distilling a lot of the... Um, the deceptions of, and in this one in particular, 164, the Atheist Project, um, and going through and, and seeing some of the connections, even when he makes some of the connections to um, like the First <coughs> Revolution, Enlightenment, and some other, um, you know, things that we would, we would cry as freedom from men. And he goes into this and, and really explains um, you know, eventually in the book, he explains later on that um, you know this this idea of this concept that we're so pressing for for freedom is really not freedom at all. Um, in that freedom really comes from well, he doesn't say specifically you know, you know bound with Christ, but we would say being bound with Christ is where we have our freedom. He's pretty vague about it. He says controlling yourself is freedom. I think he's born again. I would like to think so. In the beginning, maybe, but the more I've read, I, I would say he is very religious and it's a very stoic brand of Christianity. But yeah, I'm wondering if maybe he's, I, he's a Roman Catholic that has, has trusted Christ. Yeah, I, I just see a lot. Of, I don't know. And we'll come back to he's not a theologian, and we're not his target audience. I, like on the on the sense of just an author, like I've really appreciated just about every chapter. He's he's kind of hit like a bunch of different targets. Of, he's brought in some sort of personal story from the past to connect him with with men. You know, whether it's as a boy or as a dad or a husband. 
And so personal story. And then he's hitting some historic content um, to kind of get the historian. And he's even hitting something out of the Bible, even if he misses a little that he's trying, you know, so he's trying to connect my current life with what has happened in history, with what I read in the Bible. And this is how I'm supposed to move forward in this chapter as a result of taking all of these things into consideration. Sure. Yeah. Chapter 10, James, from the time I was five or six, my father would take me pheasant hunting every year on the season's opening weekend, which was usually the first or second Saturday in November. I say pheasant, though typically we shot quail too. We gathered at my grandparents' farm in northern Kansas on my mother's family side. The hammers, the hammer men had been hunting opening weekend together, time out of mind, and <clears throat> together, time out of mind. And when my dad married into the family, he joined them. He would take off work on the Friday before, and we would drive out there, my mother's sister with us. Mother usually made a brisket to serve the hunters. I remember this vividly because she cooked it overnight in the oven. That's the kind of stories that you're talking about, right. mm -hmm. um, Brian. And um, Yeah, every guy who's ever gone hunting with his family is now is now like, oh yeah, I have memories like that. Yep. And this is the chapter titled King. Um, and he continues through this language here. I wonder how many of our listeners understand the prophet, priest, and king idea of Christ can articulate that. I would encourage you, if you don't, that's a deficit in your theology, and you should take the time to do some studying on the idea that Christ is our prophet, priest, and king, and then how that rolls into our own life. Jack, you're being uh, curiously silent here. Oh, y'all were just talking. You had a good conversations going. We said everything no, he was thinking. No yeah. need to hop in. Well, one, I didn't read it. Uh, this last two weeks have been extremely busy and just yeah. didn't get into it a lot. So, you know, you're actually talking about things that excerpted from the book. So, yeah. uh, at that point, but you know, to the point of priests and kings, um, what I see in these from your conversation about the two chapters is um, I think you're saying that he's trying to make this point, and I think he's been making the point through the whole book that. Men don't have a vision for being men. And we need to have a vision for our country or the men of our country that sees us in a position of worth and a position of um, being needed or, or a critical role in the development of our country. Uh, right now we're being men are being men are being marginalized. And certain men are being further marginalized in that aspect uh, to the point that, um, you know, is becoming the point where if you're a man, a conservative man, then you're pretty much being told that you're the problem with everything in the country. Yeah. And what's happening is it's pushing away the, the value systems that those conservative men held that built the country. And this book is a pushback on that idea and yep. telling you to claim these identities so that you can stand tall again, stand in that storm, face that storm, and push through it. Yeah, I was very pleased, Jack, to see that the National Honor Society induction wasn't just females, that there was plenty of guys in that mm -hmm. grouping. There was a Facebook picture um, from a former family up in South Dakota now, 
and it was these um, boy, young men and women in high school who went to serve as pages, is yep. I think the name of that. For the governor. For the governor. And it was, I think, three or four guys, and the rest was all females. I mean, of what, was, 15, 20 students? Right, exactly, right. And I'm just thinking to myself, where are the young men in this picture? And they're just not there. They're playing video games. They're, they're learning to clear land in, um, mm -hmm. in Minecraft yeah. instead, of, <laughs> instead of real land. Instead of real dirt with shovels, you know? I don't think you teach how to do that. Right, I mean, it's just, it, so priest and king are these roles that we're expecting dads to, to provide in the lives of their family. Well, well, they're being told that their only role is pro-athlete <clears throat> or athlete, and in particular, one specific game of it. Um, you got to be a specialist in this one area, and you have to dedicate everything to it. And no one's teaching them or talking to them about, what if you're not the 1%? 1%, Jack? What if you're not one, the one percent of the entire nation that makes it to the pro athlete level? Yeah, but it's not. It's not one percent, right? It is. Yeah. It's one percent it, of all those who enter enter into rec leagues. Okay. Into rec leagues. All right. As, as, as children. One percent of the pool of people that might make it, not one percent of the population. Okay. Right. Okay. Yeah, for all those who enter into rec leagues as five and six year olds. 1% will actually make it to the big leagues. And it's got to be less than that. It has to be less than that. Well, well, I'm talking like baseball players, it's 1%. Basketball players, it's 1% in that field. And they, they average it out right at 1%. Some sports, it's a little less than the 1%. Some sports might be a little over the 1%. I was thinking it would be like a tenth of a percentage point is what I was thinking it would be. But in any case, I understand what you're saying. Yeah, it's a fraction of the people. A very small fraction of the people. Mm -hmm. And but just think how many years it takes for them to realize they're not going to make it, too. Um, I mean, the, the amount of time and energy people put well on into their 20s, maybe even 30s, thinking that they're going to get their break or whatever. And um, all of that time, the, I mean, so we got 90% of those people who are wandering aimlessly when they, if they would just be told, hey, you know what, you know, you need to readjust immediately. You don't have the size, you don't have the speed. Yeah. Don't have the work ethic. Mm -hmm. So when he's talking about the king and the, the ruling and reigning and being, you know, at the forefront or being the point uh, of a family or a country, you know, he uses his one grandfather as a picture early in the chapter and then he <clears throat> uses... Um, Teddy Roosevelt at the end of the chapter. And what he points out about them, again, is very solid, and it has been part of the American history, and it has been part of what helped strengthen the United States and being the nation that it has been over the two centuries. But yet, it still falls short of being the, the biblical man. In both situations so again it's helpful uh, but I had pointed out on our last podcast I really think his goal would be if we can get back to the the builder generation the the 1940s 
man, then he would see that as being successful. No matter how many are believers in Christ and coming from a biblical godly perspective that way. Yeah, he says on 180 that, you know, every man is called to lead and, e and equally significant to take up the responsibilities of leadership. Um, you know, then he uses David and Solomon kind of for, as biblical examples of that. And kind of in, in between the, his grandfather and, and Teddy Roosevelt. And he spends a lot of time talking about Solomon and, and all. But um, where's the other... Um, 188 he says you have the power to bring or God gave you or you know God has given us power to bring order from chaos you know and we can use our influence to encourage um, which again I thought was a yeah I was good. in a in um, in a conversation this week about parenting with somebody and um, the one of the key things that, that parents must do, uh, especially when children are young, is establish the hierarchy of authority. And my parents did this very well. I was well explained from the time I was little that God was the creator of the world. He owned it all. He owned mom, he owned dad, he owned us. And that he is the one established mom and dad over us. Um, and this, this concept, uh, you know, throughout this book, he, he points out this concept is now, especially when it comes to males exercising any type of authority like that is being, uh, you know, touted as, um, as very um, caustic, as very, um, you know, the, the big buzzword right now is, you know, toxic. And that, you know, when, and I'm just, th you know, the people that are sitting in today's society, they're, they're hearing this, they're, they're falling for it, hook, line, and sinker. And so when, you know, I thought 20 years ago, some of the issues with parenting are, you know, I, I hear you with the, the idea of hierarchy, and, but me as a dad, sometimes I would just lose my temper, right? You know, so that's what I'm struggling with. I'm struggling with, okay, I, I got the, the, the concept. I know I'm God's representative on this earth for my children. I know that my children are better off because of me, but sometimes I was just selfish and I just lost my temper, right? Well, now a whole new generation of people are not even, they don't even have the foundational mooring of the fact that God's in charge and I've been put with this authority over my children. They're still, they're questioning those very things. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, man, it, it's just, it's, it's like when we talk about presenting the gospel, we have to back up now a step or two um, to like, you know, we used to be able to assume God just a little bit. Now we can't even do that. Mm -hmm. Same yeah. thing in, in so many of these areas. Now you think about all those toxic men that gave their lives for World War II so that we're not speaking German right now yeah. or Japanese. All, mm -hmm. uh, those toxic men over there, you know, who were fighting in the trenches day after day. And, and, uh, and he goes hard after this idea that, you know, this elitism, you know, the leftist elitism is... is they purport to be in your best interest because we're going to overthrow this toxicity. We're going to give you freedom. And yet, if you pare back what they're doing, they're really creating a more elite society mm -hmm. in the end than... Yeah, which was, which was his point. Like He, right. he addressed said, the fact he, that the Epicureans, you know, that Marxist ideology which decries it, is in fact forming a worse entity than what would be. Yes, and he's addressing manhood in that context, but I would recommend this book just in general 
about those concepts. You know, just take manhood out of it. You know, you want to understand the left today? He has done a really good job of, of parsing that. Sure. Yeah, I mean, he's arguing for a cultural war between the left and the right, and he's attempting to make the best case possible that the right needs to win for the future of our nation. And the reality is the right needs some men if we're going to win, because that's his whole point. Um, Which is, sorry, go ahead, Mike. On 209, you know, as far as my last you know, thought on the, uh, the whole book, the middle paragraph, I'm just going to read it. Every man can be a man of peace, a man of order. He can bring order to his own life. He can choose self-discipline and strive self-command. He can commit himself to a woman for a lifetime and put her interest ahead of his. He can be a father who will love his children and devote himself to them. He can work with in industry and build something honorable. And America needs men who will do these things in this age of fatherlessness and self-absorption and irresponsibility. America needs men who will start families, build homes, leave legacies of character that will span generations. And, you know, throughout the whole book, I think he's been doing a great job of painting that picture of what is absent and what we need from a secular viewpoint. Yeah, and, and, and we could add so much more to that definition, Mike, but at the same time, that's a great starting point for every unconverted man, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. Right. And even for those of us that are converted, those are still great thoughts that we need to be thinking about. Mm -hmm. yep. Husband of one woman for life. Um, things like that. All right, so we're we're endorsing this book, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, with um, yes. with some caveats, with some things. We want you to read it. We want you to read it with a discerning view. <clears throat> Brian, any takeaways? <clears throat> well, as I, as I thought through like the King chapter and then you know Jonathan's comments, it was it's very much in our society today of how do we how do we navigate the male leadership of what it is supposed to be. Because that's the premise of the entire book, is that men aren't leading like they're supposed to be. And so finding that that balance between I naturally want to take charge, I naturally um, want everything to be my way, and the balance of, and he addressed it even in the King chapter, of serving. Of how do, you know, as a husband, how do I lead, but yet also not be demeaning and demanding? and serve my wife and love her as Christ has loved her and loved the church. As a father, how do I do the same thing? So it's there's that constant, yeah, this is a great idea, and if you, if you take the concept and just run with it, then you're, you're leaving this massive hole in who you are as a complete man. Um, so that's one of the things that you know I've appreciated, but also he's done a good job balancing, I think. that. But that's kind of for me is like, okay, yep, I need to lead and not forget these other things as well. Because that's the downside about the focal point of a chapter is it's all pushing this direction. And then it's like, cool, well, that's the only thing I need. And well, actually, no, it's not the only thing you need. Anybody else on the text? I think the biggest thing will be is you can't let the pendulum swing. And I think that's what happens too often. And you saw it for coming home from deployments. You know, the military 
used to be that they got such a bad reputation of the good old boys system and letting men slide with all kinds of abuse on the wives and everything else because you had to used to keep your wife in line so that you wouldn't affect on your rank and everything else. So the guys would come home and put their wives back in their places. And then it became when we were deploying and coming back, we always got those uh, briefings where it's like, hey, now your wife's been in charge for six months, eight months, nine months, whatever year. You need to reintegrate into the home. Don't don't try to take charge right away. Yeah. All those kind of things. Because they didn't want us to bring bad publicity to the Army with a lot of DV cases and stuff, domestic violence and everything. So they were going through all those briefings, and a lot of guys came home and said, well, she has the kids, she has a checkbook, she has everything else. What is there for me to do? Right. And they went to the PlayStations. Mm. And then we created the conditions for checkout. Um, but now we're pushing you to re-engage, to join your families, to lead your families and everything else. I would say don't let the pendulum swing. Remember, leadership is influence. That's in the definition. It's influence. Through purpose, direction, motivation. In other words, through vision. Um, through partnering. Uh, coming alongside. Spending time with. So it's not going to be a command situation right. where you're demanding. So don't, don't try to approach it that way if you've never done it. It's going to take time to get the influence on your side, but keep influencing, keep letting them see you to do the right things. Eventually, it, it will work. Uh, it just takes time. Yeah, and I would say to every guy that isn't doing something like his minor, a few minutes of video game with your son, whatever the case may be, 15 minutes to blow off some steam and recreational activity, that's fine. But w once it gets beyond that, I just don't know how many women are are respecting a guy that is living behind a notional world when there's a real world that they live in and a real world that they're actually impacting. Um, just again, going back to what you said, Jack, is, is and and you know, with today's deployments and the communications that they have. You don't have to give up your leadership role. Right. Yeah, it is unbelievable the level of communications. I mean, I talk to wives all the time. I talk to my husband every day. Yeah, we were practically cut off. Just, I mean, just go ahead, Mike. We'll take Q for example. Right. <clears throat> you know, Q's been gone now six months, but regularly, multiple times a week, he's leading his children in a Bible study before they go to bed. Yeah. Right. From somewhere else yeah. in the world. Yeah, from somewhere else in the world. So right. I can't even imagine that. Right. I mean, that was just that was mission impossible. We left and left. And they had to make every decision and all that. And then they, we came back, and I heard the exact same briefings you did, and Jack and I were never in the same units about go easy and, and you know, don't step in and take charge immediately and all that. And so guys took them literally and never stepped back in. Never did. Yeah, just never did. I remember Bianca, when I came home, she was, I left, she was one, she came home, she was two from a deployment, and I would correct her, and she'd go look at her mom to, Daddy said, do this. And mm -hmm. she's like, you better listen to him then. Mm -hmm. And Angela reinforced, you know, my position. And not all guys had that. No. No. So. No, not at all. 
John, every time I listen to your stories, it sounds like you really grew up in a solid home. Yeah. I mean, it was understated, but it was solid. Well, we never had, like, just outright conversations. Everything was by observation. Mm -hmm. Now, we had out outright conversations about gospel things a lot. They're not like, you know, this is how you parent or anything. You just watch. Right. I think, Steve, you probably did the same thing. Mm -hmm. But, you know, you, you watch how, you know, correction is administered and why. Now, I will tell you that um, my dad expressed a few things, probably from the book um, Parenting, Shepherding a Child's Heart or something, along the way that I picked up. Were you more conversational, Steve, with your girls than your dad was with you? Um, I think so. I tried to be. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's perhaps his personality, but I think we were more conversation with Jonah than anybody, but he, he just wanted to talk. So. Yes. <laughs> so yeah. we did engage in conversation. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Jonah don't like to have conversations. Yeah. <laughs> still he still calls me up today, yeah. Yeah. All right, we just want to encourage you out there. If, if you're a guy um, listening, if you're looking for a Father's Day gift for your um, husband, uh, find out whether you think he'll read a book. If you won't read a book, get him the audio book. Do, do, do something. It's a great audio book to listen to because there's not a guy that doesn't enjoy a good story. Mm -hmm. And every chapter has a good story in it. Multiple stories in yeah. most of them. Right. Yeah. yeah, and it makes it enjoyable to listen to. I listened to the whole thing on audio the first time uh, just because it was just easy to listen to and you find yourself in so much agreement with him concerning the state of our society and the future of men. And it has to turn around. I'm thankful that we have a church that has lots of male leadership. As I look across last night at our gathering, it wasn't dominated by females. There are just guys everywhere. As I looked at the serving line, Mm -hmm. um, it was just men everywhere mm -hmm. serving. So that was really encouraging. And I think it's a great environment for the, for the children to see such unity between men and women. Yeah. <laughs> On that note, Pastor, of last night when we, Lauren had a migraine that came down in Sunday school, so she stayed home last night with Morgan. And we were asking the kids, do you want to go or not? And, of course, you know, the part of it was, well, yeah, they wanted to go eat. But then it was like, look, I have to stay and clean up. And my oldest said, well, that's okay because I know there'll be other kids in there helping to clean up the tables too. And that's what he wanted to go do. Yeah. And, and then you told him they couldn't. But you know. <laughs> but nonetheless, I mean, that was that was very impactful. I'm like, okay, that's what you remember about the last time we were in here. Yeah. Is that kids were running around helping clean up tables and chairs. Yeah, and I was very okay with helping. Right. Just not the running around. Just not the running around. Hurt. Yep. Exactly. Well, since Lauren wasn't there, I said I wanted them to take their little sister and go to the playground so yep. that she was out of the way. But And that worked out. Yeah. But All right. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Next week we're looking at um, New Covenant Theology. Maybe you've never heard of it before. We're going to give you an introduction to it. Thanks for listening.